so we're back, and um, I think Amy. Uh, last time um, we had brought up the the subject of of uh, how evil death is, and whether we can defeat uh, death, and and all these kinds of things. And I think you originally brought it up in terms of. Um, in terms of you know extending human lifespan, and then I took it and you know twisted it into this whole other you know big thing. Um, so I wanted to come back and um, talk uh, as concrete as po- as possible um, about um, uh, about yeah the idea of extending our lifespans um, and and what that would mean and you know all that that entails, all the ramifications of that. So. Um, so yeah, you had brought it up. What, like, uh, kind of where, where were, what were you thinking about, or what were some of the questions that you had? I think you mentioned something like, you know, well, what if not everyone wants to live longer, right? Right. Or to what purpose? Um, mm. Because maybe enhancing quality of life is one thing; extending life is another thing. Yep. I'm assuming that it would be both at the same time. Right. But at the same time, I know that people get to a point in their life, as unless they're lying, they're saying, you know, I lived a good life and, you mm-hmm. know, ready to go when it happens. I'm at peace with that. You know, yeah. they, they've, they've done, they've done their time and they're okay. <laughs> they're and, and even, it's not even necessarily religious people, yeah. people who are saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to be annihilated, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, they're okay with that. So what does transhumanism in terms of extending life, mm-hmm. um, what does, what does it offer those people? Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, I think there's a lot of um, uh, things there uh, that that d- deserve you know conversations. W- one of which is you know wh- what is it that what is it that um, tells us that we're done? You know what is it that tells us? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well we we've done it and now you know we're good to go. And uh, is that um, is that something positive where we've achieved a certain number number of things or a certain kind of things? Or is that something negative where we're kind of, you know, like, um, we're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm tired now, you know, let's, um, right. and, and I, I don't want to be, you know, this tired anymore, you know? So it's and, a reflection of, of just getting old. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. Cause there, there could be like, you know, cause, cause we could see things going both ways, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. and I know, I know right now, you know, and I'm, I'm in my thirties. Um, I know right now there are times when I'm like, I feel like I just so weary from everything, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, um, I'm, I'm like, you know, wow, you know, definitely over 60, 70, 80 years, I can imagine that just becoming, um, too much, you know, just where right. you're, you're like, okay. On the other hand, you know, I, um, I, I have moments where I'm like, you know, I've accomplished the, uh, you know, I've accomplished something and I, I feel good mm-hmm. about that accomplishment. And so if right now, you know, if, if this is all I get, then, you know, that I'm okay. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I think those are two very different feelings and they're you know they're right two very different experiences so um that 
so that's, you know, that's, um, a, a whole kind of world to, to unpack in terms of, of the way we even think about this stuff and the way we experience it. I, I, I might've mentioned this the other day I was talking to somebody and, um, we were talking about life extension and, uh, and she said, well, you know, like, is, is this really a good thing or is it actually just because we're, we're malcontents or something like that? And we should have just been happy with 30 years. And, and, uh, <laughs> you know, when human lifespans were, you know, you, your expected age was, was going to be, you know, dying at 30 or whatever. And I was, I was like, wait a second, you know, let's at least say 35 years, right? Like, right. <laughs> 37 well, wait, 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 I'm 35. <laughs> okay, so 37, we'll say that, right? Like, I'll, I'll take two more years. Right, yeah, like, we, you know, is, and, and that's another aspect of this is that, you know, and she was in her 20s, so it's, it's easy mm-hmm. to, um, it's easy to be like, oh, well, of course, the, the right amount is, you know, this number, uh, you mm-hmm. know, like, and, and who would ever need more than that? Um, and actually, there's a, been a recent article. I, I don't know who, um, I don't know the name, uh, but um, he wrote an article, and I think he said he he only wants um, 75 years is the maximum. And so I don't know if he if he intends on making sure that that you know that he's he's <laughs> yeah. done at that time. But but I think he's you know he's in his 60s maybe, and as he conceives that like he's going to be done at that point. And he, he wants to then just get off, you know, get off the stage as quickly as possible. And, um, so, you know, that there's, there's, uh, there's aspect of like, you know, people saying, well, you know, what would I even do with that? Why would I, you know, what, why would I need that? And then there's aspect of actually feeling that sort of thing. And then there's, you know, there's certain, uh, voices who say, um, well, older people need to to um, <laughs> effectively just clear space, make way. <laughs> yeah, make way for the for the younger people, and and um, and that if they don't, that they're that's somehow an imposition, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I think all of those kinds of you know all of that kind of filters into a big stew of how we think about aging and how we think about life and um and all that and so um what you know i think the the first thing is we could say you know um none of that's set in stone like every mm-hmm. everything's up for um reconsideration and you know because um, w- when people do start to think about life extension, one of the big things that they, um, like one of the first responses that, that I've seen over and over is, well, why would you want to live to 120 if you were basically going to be, um, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, as decrepit or whatever as, as a 90-year-old right. for 30 years, you know? Right. If you could maintain the quality of life of a forty-year-old, right. maybe that would be okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's. Um, but but there is like you know particularly I think there are a bunch of of stories and sort of like images in our culture of people who like keep aging and never die, but they're not you know but they're like 
basically just incapacitated, you know? Right. And, well, it's like um, 2001, you know, yeah. the, at the end with, uh, what's his name? And he's just old and wrinkled. Do you know what I'm talking about? That uh, It's been so long. I, I, I'm blanking on that, but. Uh, oh, well, it's, at the end, he like goes from a 300 year old yeah. man in a bed. It's really creepy. Yeah. Especially when you saw it for the first time when you're three years old, it's yeah, really yeah. creepy. <laughs> so, and then, and then he goes to a baby, but, so, yeah. but anyway, yes, that's the image that, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, and part of that is, is because this is how we've actually experienced it, right? Like, you know, when people, mm-hmm. when people died at 30 years old, then, um, we, we lived in a culture <laughs> in a society in which everyone was young and healthy. Right. Um, right, right. and, and once we started to have people live to 60, then we don't live in a society in which everyone's young and healthy. We see, you know, we see people getting old and, and getting, uh, you know, kind of breaking down in, in some ways. And we've extended that to, to now it's, you know, pretty common to have people, um, live into their nineties. And we see, you know, we see the same thing. This is how we experience aging. So when we extrapolate that, you know, to 120 years or, or longer, then we're already in that point of saying, you know, that is a lot of time to not feel, uh, youthful and strong and vibrant, you know? (laughs) Right. And especially in my, my line of work, I see, Mm. I mean, I work with dying people and that's, you know, of course, I'm going to reflect on that myself. Right. Whether, you know, as like, this is me, this is me, I'm going to be this. And yeah. is this what I want? Is this, mm-hmm. does it matter? Do I even have a say in this? <laughs> you know, right. how does, so all, all that's coming, mm-hmm. at, you know, after the past. You know, but it's, yeah. it, it's interesting that you have to, you have to, when you're basically seeing your future yeah. and wondering, can you change this? Mm-hmm. Is this okay? Is this what I want? Is this so bad? At the yeah. same time, I'm like, well, yeah. you know, it's it is what it is too. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah it's um, so l- let's maybe um, s- just cover uh, some some kind of a little bit of the the technical aspects of what people are actually talking about. Um, and I'm no, you know, I'm no scientist. I'm not an expert on this kind of stuff, but, um, but there seems to be a, a, a general consensus of, of what is actually being researched and looked into. So, um, I, I think a lot of people find this surprising. There are actually some, um, fairly significant projects underway right now to, um, to solve the problem of aging, to uh, to deal with that in in a significant way, uh, one that's been around for a long time is um, uh, uh, called Strategies for Ensuring ne- Negligible Senescence. I think is what it's called. Uh, it's the Sins Foundation with Aubrey de Grey, and he's been researching this kind of stuff for a long time. More recently, uh, Google um, created a company called Calico, and Calico is you know is specifically for this, uh, this work to try to, uh, effectively undo human aging. And, um, so these things are, are happening. Uh, there's, there's bunches of other projects, but, but these things are happening, um, you know, in, in, you know, in large public, uh, very well-funded companies. So somebody thinks this is, you know, a promising thing to, to explore. Right. right? Um, so, 
uh, so let me just talk about what Aubrey de Grey is is doing in his approach because I think it's it's uh, indicative. Um, so his, you know, what he looks at is this. He says, you know, um, there there is really a no such thing as um, as death due to natural causes. Um, what actually happens is that as we as we age, different parts of our bodies break down, and eventually we die by virtue of of one of those things, by virtue of some disease that we we um, are inflicted with, whether it's um, whether it's heart disease or um, or cancer or uh, uh, mental degeneration or, or you know all all kinds of different things. Um, but we we think of it as death due to natural causes um, when it seems fitting for that particular age, right? <laughs> right when mm-hmm. it seems like it it kind of follows the template of what we um, what we expect. Um, but all of those things from from heart disease to cancer, um, uh, Alzheimer's, all this kind of stuff um, is shares a. a a similar cause, and that cause is just that there's cellular um, damage that's accumulating in our bodies. And um, you know, this is this is the thing: is as we live, um, our cells accumulate damage from the sun, from our environment, from all these kinds of things, just over time. Um, and uh, you know, initially, our bodies are really good at at repairing that damage and um but we miss some you know and and as we miss more and more of that damage then um then the kind of parts of that we our bodies missed accumulates and then it starts to cause uh things to break down and it causes larger and larger systems to break down over time until um something truly major goes and then our heart goes out or our lungs stop working or something like that. Um, so all of this is, is uh, in his uh, analysis, is just um, cellular damage. It's all um, j- effectively just injury at a very tiny level. That every day mm-hmm. we're just being bombarded and, and accumulating small injuries until, um, until it tips over into something uh, something bigger, and then we start to label it as a disease. Um, so he, I think it was back in the 80s, um, uh, they've identified uh, seven different types of cellular damage. And um, and I think he, he kind of put out a challenge for anyone to uh, to come up with a different type, one that they hadn't categorized and, and kind of understood. Um, and you know, in the decades since then, nobody has come forward with that. So it appears like, you know, it seems as if um, we have a baseline understanding of the aging process, um, and uh, we, you know, we understand what what it is and and how it works and things like that. And now the question is, you know, can we can we do something about that? Um, now that's there's. There's uh, a lot of different theories, uh, so there are some alternate and competing theories of aging um, that are out there, and 
you know, those theories may prove to be true, or there may be a combination of theories that that proves to be true. But this is the probably like the quote unquote traditional view of of aging. This is how it's probably understood by the the mainstream of people who who look into this. So, um, so what he proposes to do is develop um, develop uh, essentially therapies that would um, that would repair the damage of of cells, um, clear out the waste, and um, and get things back in a functioning order. And that's all it would do. It would just repair the cellular damage. Now, what that would then you know have the effect of is you know by repairing cellular damage, we would now you know, be back in a state where our bodies can do a better job of keeping themselves in good repair, we would effectively be younger um, and uh, we would have uh, rolled back the clock uh, to some degree. Um, and, uh, and being able to do, to address any of these seven types of cellular damage would be able to roll back, you know, the clock um, Somewhat. So, if if next year they came out with a um, with some kind of you know pill or something like that that said, okay, we can undo type A damage, um, and that'll give you an extra five years of life. Um, and that extra five years, they'll probably come up with a way to have uh, solve type B, right? And that may right. give you an extra ten years of life. And um, and, and so on and so forth. And so we could, you know, even if we just start kind of whittling away at this problem um, in, in a real way, then all of a sudden um, drastically increased lifespans become possible. And, um, and the way we would experience that is not of being, you know, a 90-year-old who lives for 50 more years, but we would experience that as being a 40-year-old who lives, um, you know, however many more years. Or even over time, you know, roll that back to, uh, as our technologies get better and better at repairing this damage, roll it back to, you know, the the strength and vitality of a 30-year-old. And and, um, and so so it wouldn't be this kind of, you know, so, so these two things that you said, like the kind of quality of life and length of life would intrinsically go together in this scenario because you're the only way you're getting length of life is by improving the quality of life. Does that make sense? Yes. That yes, was, it does. That was a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> of stuff. And I, I'm, no, sure no, I I got some, it. I'm sure I got some of that wrong uh, too, in terms of the technical, uh, technical side of things or, or the dates and so forth. But, um, but yeah, so that's, I, I, I think, you know, for myself, that seems like the most plausible um, uh, way that this happens, right? There are other scenarios, there are other um, things that people are trying to see if they can uh, extend human lifespan. But this is the one that, that um, seems like it, you know, has, a, has a, um, some plausibility in, in the space of... Um, what we're able to do medically, like, you know, what we could conceivably be able to do medically. And, um, and what's interesting about that then to me is that, um, a lot of the moral questions 
um, change in that this scenario. And for for one of them, um, you know, people a, a lot of people ask about this, um, but I would say repairing cellular damage is just an extension of the sort of medicine we practice now, mm-hmm. which is, oh, when something breaks, let's fix it, right? Right. It's, right. it's not some kind of, you know, oh, now you're injected with uh, blue fire and somehow you can, um, you know, live forever or something like that, right? Like this is, this is just the sorts of medicine that we do. It's not something, uh, you know, even... Uh, extreme from from a you know it's just it's just we're changing the kind of level at which we do it um, and we're not even changing kind of what the the how the human body operates or um, anything like that right um, right so we're just yeah it's you know we're, we're it's like uh, there's a there's a guy who has a, a car I think he got back in the 50s maybe and he's been he's like driven it over a million miles, and he just keeps mm-hmm. repairing it. And right. uh, you know, when things break down, he fixes them or replaces them or whatever. And you know, so his car runs runs perfectly, right? It's not a categorically different kind of car. It's the same, you know. It's the same kind of car. Right. He's just taken the immense effort of making sure that all of these things stay, you know stay functioning properly. Um, so, so that's one thing that right off the bat, we can at least talk about, uh, this as something that's, that's fairly consistent with how medicine works, um, now, um, and that, uh, would hypothetically be extending, um, our quality of life dramatically and, uh, only by virtue of that, then extending, uh, quantity of life as well. Um, and, and so I, you know, in that, um, what I'm really curious about, I guess, is what's, um, what's scary about that? <laughs> like, well, what, I've got a whole list right Yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go, let's go into it. <laughs> All right. Well, I have, um, there are religious implications mm-hmm. of, you know, the Bible limit is 120 years. So okay. okay. Well, what do you do with that? That's, that's my weakest question, but I'm, it <laughs> I, comes, I'm sure yeah. it would come up. <laughs> yeah. So I like what, it. What, what would you say to that one? <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I would say, first of all, that, um, you know, uh, that's a that, there's a statement in in Genesis that says um, mm-hmm. you know his his day man's days shall be 120 years and people people go back and forth on whether it's saying people will only live to 120 years old or whether it's saying we've got 120 more years left before the flood or you know something like that uh-huh. um, and uh, so you know so I would I would suggest that. You know, I don't know exactly what the the correct interpretation of that is, but I'm pretty sure it actually doesn't mean that people can only live to 120 years old. Uh, first of all, um, everybody uh, in that story lives significantly longer than 120 years. Um, after that point, Noah lives, uh, I think, 600-something years. 
Um, and, uh, and his sons live, uh, into their hundreds and, um, and, you know, even as far as, um, I think Abraham said to live 180 years, uh, maybe, let me see. I might be, I might be off on that. Um, but it's, it's up there. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, uh, so the, these Bible characters, uh, 175 years is how I, how long Abraham is said to have lived. So and uh, and uh, Moses lived. Um, uh, I think he at least lived to 120. Um, and let me, uh, yeah, 100, 120 years. So Moses is the is the one who like gets cut off at 120 years but mm-hmm. but from the time that they said that there were a lot of people who lived longer than 120 years so i i don't think that that's that's what that means right i don't think that means um people can only live to 120 years old um regardless of what it does mean i it you can't really hold you can't you can't um kind of take a consistent literal interpretation of that verse and then um, you know, a few verses later, uh, throw that out and, and say, you know, like, like you have to, you have to pick one or the other. Right. So, um, so that's my, that's my, uh, first reaction to that. Um, and I would also, it's not enforceable. I mean, right. unless you've got people <laughs> right, right. Just lining up all the 120 year old people and say, well, that's yeah. it. God yeah. said it. Uh, and it. I could see that ha- I could see that happening too. So if it, really if it sad, became but. like a an economic or social issue, yeah, I could see people mm-hmm. like pressing for something like that. I did have um, I I have you know the other point I was going to make is like we know people have lived longer than that in in right. recent history, um, and uh, and I I did know somebody who denied that that was happening. Um, mm-hmm. who, you know, said all of this is, you know, all of this is, uh, faked or something like that. And, you know, records for 120 year old people are, you know, um, probably significantly iffy and there are certain things, but, uh, for the, you know, there are a number of people that we think have lived longer than 120 years. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm skeptical that, that they all died exactly at 120 and that that that's what was going on. So, yeah. Uh, so I would say, I I think most people would say people have lived longer than 120 years in, in recent history. And I would say if you, you know, take the Bible characters, you know, it it doesn't seem like God's enforcing that. It doesn't (laughs) seem like he wants people to enforce that. Um, so it just, uh, you know, I think that's probably not what that passage means, even if right. I don't know exactly what it means. So, Right. And on the flip side of that, you've got these, in the, inside the, the, the myths, mm-hmm. you've got these really, really long lifespans. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think that reflects other than yeah. just a story? Do you think that that is pointing to... Uh, possibility for humanity or something that should have happened or should be happening now or yeah that that there is the the world was set up in a certain way where that was the climate mm-hmm. or atmosphere or whatever was more conducive to a longer lifespan yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of people, there's, you know, a lot of different kind of theories about that. And uh, yeah, I've seen everything from, you know, yeah, there was less radiation in the atmosphere to um, the the dating system. These are actually, you know, something like months rather than years or, you know, something, something right, like that. Right. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of different ways to, to slice that up. But um, I think the the big takeaway, you know, I, I and I, I do think like uh, it, it's interesting how that gets pulled into apologetics arguments, mm-hmm. and and when we do that, when we use something for apologetics, we typically lose the ability to actually look at it and ask what it's what it's telling us, right? As soon as right. we start to use it as as just something to prove or disprove, you know, then we're concerned about the species of fish that swallowed uh, Jonah. Rather than right. like what you know, so I think that's what happens here, and I I do think you know when wh- okay why are these people said to have lived such a long time, and I think that it's because they're this the uh, story is trying to say these people were blessed, and they're living in a way that is um, so much less destructive. Than the people around them. That's that's a lot of what the story is about. Is about how destructive <laughs> right. people are, and so these people are the are the non destructive people, and because of that, they are blessed with um, with these incredibly long lives that all are kind of like approaching a thousand years. You know, like the, mm-hmm. this kind of like as, as if the the perfect age. Uh, you know, might be represented by a thousand years or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and none of them quite make it, but they're all, you know, they're all pretty close to that. So yeah, the first thing I would say from that is just, um, the, the scriptures view long life as a blessing and, um, and it's something, uh, that, uh, is expected to be connected with, um, decreasing violence, decreasing, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, uh, causing of harm, essentially. Um, and uh, so we see that show back up in Isaiah, in the latter chapters of Isaiah. Um, it's, you know, Isaiah is, is funny because we, we quote so much of it, and um, because it kind of applies to to Jesus, it it sounds like it's talking about Jesus, um, but we leave out certain parts, and um, when we do that, naturally, and uh, mm-hmm. so near the end of Isaiah, he t- he looks forward to a time, he says, when um, the man who dies at a hundred will be thought to be a mere child. Yeah, and um, and so he, you know, and and. And what goes with that? Well, no one will kill or destroy. You know, the, mm-hmm. there will be peace, right? And so, um, you know, there will be a world of peace. There will be uh, a time when people live far beyond 100. Um, and, and you know, we, we want to, like, just kind of apply that to heaven or something like that. But, but he's still envisioning, a, you know, a, a world where... Yeah, people die, but like it's after they get to see their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren. You know, like it's they get these extended long lives, like kind of echoing Genesis, right? Echoing that um, mm-hmm. that ideal. 
of, of how, you know, how a human could be. So anyway, um, so yeah, I think what you get, at least in the Old Testament, is this sense that, you know, long life um, is a blessing, is a good thing. It, it comes, uh, it's connected with um, decreasing violence and decreasing um, uh, harm. And, um, and so I think that's, you know, I, I think that's a good thing for, for Christians to, to embrace and say, yeah, let's, you know, let's see if we can have a world that has a lot less violence and, oh, consequently, um, people are, are living to see their grandchildren hundredth birthday or whatever that is, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, that's my, um, that's my th- thoughts on, on that, I guess, so. On the religious aspect, mm-hmm. or at least the Old Testament, yeah, style, yeah, yeah. yeah I um, that's interesting, especially the verse in Isaiah. I hadn't thought about that one because, mm-hmm. like you said, we usually <laughs> right. around it, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because that's used. Um, I guess um, I can't think of the word, but it's its own. It man, I can't think of the word. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it proves itself using scripture yeah so but it's trying it's a proof for jesus mm-hmm. and so it's being used as a proof and yet it's yeah. not being used as a proof for something else so yeah I thought that was kind of funny but yeah um so hmm. yeah my next um question was economic and sociological yeah. which was um if you have an increased lifespan of course naturally you've got more people living longer, so mm-hmm. that means the population is increasing, mm-hmm. not only because people are not dying, but because people are having more kids, probably, because not because they are living longer and longer to do it, have yeah. more opportunities and probably are feeling better <laughs> so yeah. they can have more kids. Yeah. So um, what are the implications for mm-hmm. um, an increase in population? Yeah. So... Um, it's interesting um, that you know uh, uh, our population projections um, are actually far more far lower than um, a lot of people are are expecting. And if if you mm-hmm. kind of look at the numbers, you know where they're going, um, a lot of people an- anticipate um, humanity topping out at about nine billion people. Um, sometime around the the middle of the century, I believe. Um, and there are some different projections that skew a bit higher and a bit lower. Um, but the reason why is because that um, what we see in all the developed nations is that um, the pop, the uh, birth rate drops below replacement rate, and so um, we actually see effectively declining populations across the first world. And as um, as uh, you know, different different parts of the world kind of rise to that level of of um, economic um, status, then we see that happening there too. And there's there's a big economic you know kind of feature where um, you know when when you're when you're running a farm or that kind of thing. You know, having a bunch of kids has a real economic value, um, but as you as you move into a more knowledge work based society, um, then having having kids is not really an economic value. It's a 
um, it's an expense, you know, to, to a great degree. And so, mm-hmm. um, and especially, you know, as you kind of, um, uh, you know, you want more and more things for your kids. And so you want to spend more and more of your resources on ensuring that they have a good life, that they get all the, you know, all the opportunities and all that. So, um, so we actually see a trend towards people having, uh, fewer children spaced out, um, you know, and, and treating them as a big investment, you know, rather than like, mm-hmm. oh, at five years old, now they can contribute to the family business, right? Now it's more like, uh, maybe at, at 25 years old, then they start <laughs> paying for themselves, but it, increasingly not even that, right? Like, um, we see, uh, this, you know, like emerging adulthood where more and more people are, are, um, less, less and less economically dependent. I, you know, it's, it's kind of moving in that direction. So, um, so there's a, a big counter trend there to this, this idea that we would, uh, in, you know, kind of dramatically increase the population. Um, and I actually think that it could very easily go the other way that if we, um, were thinking, oh, well, you know, I've got, uh, 150 years to have kids instead of, um, instead of just, you know, 30 or 40 years or whatever it is, um, then there, there's a lot less of a rush, right? Mm -hmm. And it would be easy to see people delaying, uh, having children later and later. I mean, we're, we already see that. So I, you know, if we remove that cap, you know, the, um, if we remove the limit on that, then I think we will see that even more. So, um, so yeah, there's, you know, we're introducing a new kind of pressure that would increase the number of people that are, that are around. Um, but also there's, there's this counter force that's already kind of, um, decreasing, uh, our, our population growth, slowing our population growth and looks like it will bring our population growth to, um, to a stop. Um, and one thing that's interesting in that is, um, that, you know, what we've experienced so far in, in, um, you know, like America and, in uh, most first world nations is, is the aging of the population. So, you know, a greater and greater percentage of people are past the retirement age, meaning that um, they are having to be supported by a smaller and smaller workforce. Um, right. And um, so one thing that that maybe seems counterintuitive, but that has been suggested as, an, as a... Um, as a way of addressing this is life extension because you know the the reason why people uh, you know after 65 have traditionally retired um is because they were at the end of their useful life they couldn't contribute um anymore and um because they weren't they weren't strong they couldn't you know do do a lot of physical things um, as that's, you know, as our economy has shifted away from physical labor, then that changes a little bit. Um, but then we run into, well, their, you know, their mental abilities are not what they used to be. It, the, when we start to be able to address some of those things, then that changes that dynamic. 
And no longer do we have to say, oh, well, we really need a much larger population of 20-year-olds to support all these 65 and 70-year-olds. What, mm-hmm. what we can say is, oh, you know, you could expect to have um, a, a long and productive life uh, you know, as long as as you want to keep being productive, you can do that. You know, and um, so that may actually help um, with some of those uh, those economic pressures. It may it may end up being um, the way that we have, <laughs> we have to address some of that. So um, I, there's there's more. Uh, to say on all that, but what, what's your, what's your feeling about, about those things? Oh, um, it's just funny cause it's outside my own realm of experience because yeah. I'm clearly not the trendsetter here. I have yeah. seven children. Right. So, right. <laughs> um, so of course my questions are going to be, you know, okay. And, <laughs> and the reason I'm probably not going to have any more is because it's not because I don't, you know, like kids, it's, it's, I'm getting old and I'm Mm -hmm. tired and I'm not the same as I was. And so I'm actually here, I'm thinking, well, you know what, if I actually could feel like 20 years old again, and I had that energy, maybe I would have more kids. So it's, it's interesting that I'm, I'm here thinking the opposite. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then again, I'm also thinking I'm the weirdo probably, (laughs) and I'm, not, not the trendsetter, so yeah, the world is probably safe, and there's <laughs> luck. <laughs> yeah, you're, so. you're bucking the trend. Um, yes. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm uh, from a, a very large family. I'm right, I'm, right. I'm one of 11, and um, in, you know, and so, yeah, we, but, you know, we were definitely, like, super against the trend, you know, like, yeah. um, so... Yeah, both of us have kind of different <laughs> different experiences than the norm, I think, you know. Um and uh and yeah, you know, it there's there's all kinds of different um aspects of this. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll see a uh uh return to um Amish lifestyles, you know, and uh right. and we'll you know what happens with that. Um Kevin Kelly, who uh is the founder of um Wired magazine, and wrote mm-hmm. um, wrote a great book called "What Technology Wants." Um, he is someone who has spent a lot of time living with the Amish, you know, and he um, he you know as a result um, advocates for um, a lot of kind of practices that they have. Uh, one of which is having a lot of kids, and and mm-hmm. you know he um, and I think this is his perception is that you know, in our, in the developed societies, we're seeing this ultimately a decline of, of population. And, uh, you know, if we are healthy people who have something to offer, um, you know, it's good for us to, to have kids and, you know, and and be able to create a better, you know, a better next generation and so forth. So you do get these, like these counter effects, you know, and, and, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's no kind of, you know, ultimately knowing exactly where that's going to end up. But, um, you know, I, I would say the, the overall trend seems to be, uh, that we actually might, you know, run into issues with sustaining the population. But, but let's suppose that we d- did, you know, by extending people's lives, 
um, did really create a, a lot of population pressure. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, as as a transhumanist, um, then kind of philosophically, my approach to that is going to be to say, well, what can we do to solve that problem? Like, what what can we do? Let, let's not just accept the kind of premises um, that uh, you know that we we can only handle this many people, so therefore somebody's got to die, you know, right? Um, and, or therefore we can't. Um, you know, save people from starvation or, or something like that. Let's, mm -hmm. let's fundamentally question that and say, well, you know, where, where does this cause a problem? And, and, you know, population problems usually come down to, um, do, are we, do we have enough food and do we have enough, uh, water? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, that if we, if this does kind of, you know, send us into a population, um, issue, then I would say that's a great opportunity for us to, um, you know, again, kind of return to the subject of, of how we deal with our food supply, how sustainable that is, how, you know, how much we're able to produce with how much land and, and so forth. And let's, you know, let's come up with some better options than just um, assuming that everybody either needs to die at, at 65 or, or 75 or 30 or whatever, whatever it is. Logan's run. Yes. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah, like just, you know, philosophically, let's just not accept those as, um, you know, necessary, uh, situations. Let's figure out what mm -hmm. we can do to, to move that. And, you know, and, and I'll say like, I'm actually very influenced by, uh, primitivists, um, in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Um, and so, uh, Daniel Quinn, who wrote the book Ishmael, um, uh, kind of, uh, critiquing our modern, uh, society or actually all of human society post agriculture, you know, he mm -hmm. has, a, he has a consistent approach, you know, uh, to a large extent. He says, well, agriculture was when we started having a population explosion that couldn't actually be um, dealt with at the base level that humanity had existed at uh, forever before, right? You know, when we were when we were um, just being hunters and gatherers, and we could go around in the woods and find berries, and you know, every every few days we'd be able to catch a large animal and feed our feed our tribe. Um, we could sustain a, a certain level of population and that was a pretty low, you know, hundreds of thousands. Um, uh, but once we started to be able to do agriculture, then we had such a wealth of food that we could sustain millions of people and eventually billions of people. And, mm -hmm. and he says, you know, that was our mistake. Like we, we need to undo that. And in fact, we can't fix uh, in his view, fix the world until we undo the whole thing, until we go get away from agriculture and go back to hunting, hunting and gathering. And for him, that definitely means like we're going to accept the death of billions of people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we're going to accept that some people are, are just going to starve and that we deal with those as hunter gatherer societies would not as, 
you know, modern compassionate um, societies okay. would where we want them to, you know, have hospital care and so forth. So um, I admire, I admire a lot of that, of his analysis. Cause I don't think it's um, completely wrong. Um, uh, and I admire his consistency, you know, and, and ultimately there's a, there's a fork there and you say, well, okay, do we accept that we, that the agricultural revolution was a mistake and we need to undo it? Or do we accept that, um, you know, this is what we do is we do agricultural revolutions. So what's the next revolution we need to have, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think you only ultimately only have those two options. He doesn't assume that you could have another revolution. So he thinks we're, you know, headed into (laughs) trouble. Right. And, um, I accept that challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but you know, but that's common is that we, we assume we look around at the world, we say, okay, well, you know, we have, um, this many fuel burning cars and this many, um, you know, fields of corn and that, you know, this is how the world works. And if we were to suddenly increase the population level, um, then all this would not work anymore. And that's absolutely Mm -hmm. right. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, we don't need another billion cars on the road. You know, we don't need like, right. But the great thing about life is like, it doesn't have to stay that way. Like we, (laughs) other things can change. And, um, right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I see as the, you know, transhumanist, uh, project in a lot of ways is simply to say, Hey, let's, you know, let's not just accept, um, everything as it is. So, right. Yes. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) My, my, um, if you want to hear my thoughts. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, well, I was thinking, of course, before, you know, you got into, I forget who you were talking about, um, the, the guy. Oh, Daniel, just Daniel Quinn. Yes. yes. Yeah. Anyway, before you mentioned him, I was already, you know, thinking, okay, what are the solutions to this? Because, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm already going to, I'm going to solve this, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, of course, the first thing that popped in my head was space, you know, space right. exploration. We're going to colonize these planets. And then I thought, well, I mean, yes, that's all part of it. That's, you mm-hmm. know, it begets that anyway for other reasons. But but also the idea of colonization, if you're, you know, you've got these big space programs that we're going to go right. go try to get off this planet and go try to live somewhere else. Yeah. Well, we can do that in a, on a smaller scale on our own planet. There, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many places that are perfectly habitable yeah. for larger populations. We just, we're just not there. And right. so what if you took that same idea of colonization for a place on Mars, but you're saying, Hey, we're going to get together. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to go to, you know, this, wherever, yeah. <laughs> this, this nice place over here. And that's how the world, that's how we got to this point. Anyways, people yeah. Yeah. explored. And, but what do you do when you already know exactly what you're getting yourself into? You right. know, you know the geography, and you do it in these intentional communities, mm-hmm. and you see it on a very small scale all throughout the world. But what if you did it? You know, you plotted, you planned. Like we're going to move, yeah, a hundred thousand people into yeah. this area, yeah, and master plan this community. You yeah. know, that I, I could see that happening. I mean, it would take a lot to get everybody mm-hmm. doing that, <laughs> but, yeah. but. 
I mean, it takes a lot to send eight people to Mars, too. So yep. I, I actually would think the 100,000 people would be easier. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was my thought was this world's a lot bigger than mm-hmm. I think we think it is. Yeah. Um, we just see these pockets of huge populations. But I think didn't, I read somewhere, and I could be totally wrong, but the entire population of the world could fit on Hawaii or something like that. Like we're all just yeah. standing side by side, something like that. Yeah, there's it was. There's various, uh, yeah, there's various, uh, comparisons. I've seen like the Texas thing, like, uh, Texas, okay. Yeah. That sounds more believable, but Hawaii sounded cool. Well, but. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a matter of how much room you want and you could have, you know, true. like, I think it was side by side. Like if everybody yeah. just crunched together and just, I mean, not that that's sustainable, but just, right. it gives you a picture. And I yeah. think it was just one, it wasn't even all of Hawaii, just one of the islands, well, but yes, if everybody had their own apartment you could be in we could all fit in texas yeah it's actually yeah and you know what we actually it's interesting over time it seems like we actually take up less space and so you know uh, a few years back we passed the point where uh 50 of humanity now lives in cities um Mm -hmm. and that has been increasing for you know all of all of human you know uh history and now we're yeah now we're past the 50 percent mark and um and there are a lot of reasons why humans move to cities. And actually, uh, I mentioned Kevin Kelly and what technology wants. He talks a lot about this um, because what you see is, you know, we, we idealize the countryside and yet um, people consistently move out of the countryside into what we think of as slums. And, um, mm-hmm. and you say, well, why are they doing this? You know, <laughs> if, um, and, uh, you know his his stance is that um, we n- we know in a lot of ways that we value life uh, more closely connected with other people. The closer mm-hmm. we can get to other people, the more um, the more we have in terms of culture and education and uh, opportunity. You know, like and so we're always being drawn towards this. So you know, humanity, our whole history has been in this process of of yeah migrating into areas of you know being packed in more densely and we you know in recent uh in the last century or two we've created all new technologies for doing that you know skyscrapers and and stuff like that so we can put in lots and lots more people in the same uh area of land right Mm -hmm. and um and so, yeah, that's completely possible. We can, you know, we can build up, we can build down, we can um, build floating island cities. Um, mm-hmm. th- that's something that people have looked into. Um, there are, yeah, we're not, we're not out of space and, and we're not out of resources even. It, that's where we, you know, we typically think about the pressure coming. It's not resources. We've got plenty of, of energy pouring down on the planet every hour right. of every day. Um, it's, it's, our, it's more about our, our uh, creativity of how to actually mm-hmm. use these resources and use the, you know, the, the space that we have and how, you know, what we're going to do with it. Um, and, you know, I hear people talk about the earth as a closed system, um, sometimes because they want to, you know, talk about 
recycling and, and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I, and that's a, you know, very, very, a uh, good thing to to think about, but the but the actual the premise of that is wrong. The Earth is not a closed system. We're continually being gifted with vast mm -hmm. vast amounts of energy um, that we that we have available to uh, to feed life. You know to to um, right. to make things better, to repair things, and um, and our problems are not that we. Uh, are running out of energy or something like that. It's that we've um, been using um, old clunky forms of energy, right? Like th this is what fossil fuels are is, is the, the most absurd way to fuel a society that you can think of <laughs> in a lot of ways. Right. You know? Well, didn't like imagine yourself like the first time you saw a, solar panel how old were you like nine or you yeah, know yeah, I don't know nine. I was and I just assumed that okay this makes sense this right. is this is the way it's gonna be and right. I'm so it's weird that we're this old and it's yeah yeah we're still <laughs> we're still running on dinosaurs right and it's yeah just, okay yeah and so uh, so yeah it's absolutely like you know our limit is not our, our limit is, is our own ingenuity and, and essentially willingness to, to, uh, really put in effort. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the, the, uh, you know, the, the ultimate resource that, that we need to, uh, deploy at a much, much, much larger scale. Um, what so, do you think the hang up is? Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, I, I think that, I, you know, I, I, my theory is that um, we just have a failure of imagination as a society. And maybe that, that failure of imagination comes because, you know, maybe that's just what happens. Like you, um, you know, as you get older, certain things seem less plausible, you know. And, mm -hmm. and so maybe, maybe... Um, just like, you know, teenagers and, and 20 year olds and 30 year olds go through that. Maybe our society is going through that and it's just kind of a growth pain. You know, that might be, right. Um, that might be the case. Um, it might be that we, um, we lost our faith in, um, in possibilities and we are still trying to recover that. Have we, have we talked about the movie Tomorrowland? No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Uh, yet. Um, yeah, you should see it. It's it's not like the the greatest movie, but it's it's really interesting um, because of of what it's what it's essentially saying um, about our society. And um, I'm trying to think of what I can say without spoiling too much of it. But <laughs> but um, but the the message of it is is essentially that. You know, there was um, there was a time when we had a lot of optimism about the future, and um, and then there was there came to be a time when we um, started uh, really having some negative viewpoints on the future. Um, you know, we started thinking a lot about uh, nuclear war and um, how that could wipe us all out and. You know, and and the more that we thought about that, the more that we really just kind of bought into the idea that that that's how things 
are or that's how, where things are headed, mm-hmm. you know, in this kind of disastrous trajectory. And as soon as you buy into a, a worldview like that, then you start approaching things differently. And you, you're, you know, it, you can think about, um, you know, if you, if you think, um, that society is fundamentally unchanging, that there's, you that things are not going to get significantly better from here. Um, then when you go to choose a career for yourself, it doesn't tend to be one where you're inventing something new or where you might be exploring and you know creating new knowledge it tends to be one where you're trying to you know get to the top of of a particular pyramid or a particular hierarchy because that's the place to be does mm-hmm. that does that make sense yes yes um it's it's interesting because what you said about when you, I do think that there, you know, the people, ideas, and events of certain mm-hmm. eras are going to create these worldviews where, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that we're stuck just because people are stubborn or, yeah. you know, curmudgeonly or curmudgeonly right. or whatever, you know, or yeah. um, get off my lawn or whatever, right. you know, they're just, <laughs> I do think that it is a reflection of a, of a value system that isn't necessarily bad. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, there is a, there, there is. There, I'm trying to think of, there's a phrase, you know, there, there, I can't think of the exact quote and I can't even think of who said it, but the phrase goes, there are some years that ask questions and some years that answer. Hmm. And, um, I think that for a lot, the past, you know, few decades, it's been questions, lots and lots of questions, lots of maintenance. Yeah. You're not seeing a lot. I feel it's like, you know, everybody's in the stasis pod and yeah. and just kind of trying to keep everything mm-hmm. from not exploding, not dying, not, you know, just right. it, it's status quo. And it's not a bad thing. It's, mm-hmm. it is its own form of protection. It's even its own form of invention in a roundabout way yeah. because you're trying to maintain what has been. Mm-hmm. So I understand it, but I, of course, you know, we have a, a another generation that right. that hasn't gone through that thing. So our value system is, I I see a generation gap that seems a lot wider mm. than than previous ones. Hmm. I mean, not that I experienced them, but yeah. there there just seems to be something fundamentally. And I know every generation has their you know their gaps or their you know yeah just they don't see eye to eye. But there does seem to be something different about millennials mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah. that is just there's something going on that is just not relatable because there's there is the technology and everything that people just nobody when you grow up with that when that's been yeah all you've ever known you're going to see the world differently you're going to be more creative you're going to have see possibilities when you see just new things being pitched every single day right that's and that's your life that's your childhood that's you know you're you're gonna you're gonna mm-hmm. see that differently so i do i do have hope for the future and not saying that previous generations were hopeless but i you know it's, it yeah. is different so i don't i don't feel like it's yeah it's, i do feel like it's reflective of the society not necessarily just the age thing mm-hmm. that, does that make any sense yeah no i i agree with that i think um you know, 
like, uh, you know, I was, I was a kid when, you know, there was this whole where, where there were, when there was grunge and all that kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and for a long time in music, there is a sense of, um, uh, you know, if you're a musician, uh, you know, you can't aspire to, um, being successful. And because right. <laughs> because uh, Kurt Cobain, you know, presumably didn't right like he acted like he didn't mm -hmm. like this was just some accident and he would have been happier, you know, practicing in his basement or something like that. You mm -hmm. know? And so everybody who came after that is like, well, yeah, you know, I don't want to be one of these sellouts who, you know, <laughs> who gets gets famous. Right. And so th then we developed this whole thing of, you know, the the. Uh, most prestigious groups are the th are the ones that never you know never achieve uh, fame or success, and you know there's there's something in that that's good because it's kind of this move away from materialism, um, mm -hmm. but there's also something in that that's bad because it's it's saying um, I'm not you know I would sooner not do something than uh, like not create something good in the world than I would um, see it actually flourish, you know? And mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't want to characterize that too, uh, too extreme, but, you know, I was, I was um, actively being a musician and um, for a number of years and felt like um, I felt that pressure, even though it was kind of like hungover pressure in a lot of ways. Like I was past the point where that was like, maybe the most intense. Um, but, um, you know, I, I felt that, uh, is that, you know, oh, we're, we're musicians. We're not supposed to want success. And I felt uh, that uh, to me as a real conflict because, mm -hmm. um, not because I was materialist and wanted like, you know, a limo and all that kind of stuff, but because I, I wanted to, to, to make things that, um, that would have a positive impact on other people, right? That would act, yeah. that would actually, you know, create create something in the world. And so, anyway, I, I feel like there is there has been, uh, you know, for a lot of a lot of good reasons, uh, a a cultural um, era in which we um, backed off pretty hard from from wanting to say, oh, well, we can. Uh, set up a Mars colony. Oh, we can, um, you know, do this thing that's never been done before on a big scale, you know, because that requires ambition and ambition is suspect. And I think we mm -hmm. see that, um, we see that a lot now, uh, in, in certain areas. And, um, but I think that the younger people, um, are not, uh, don't have that holdover, like don't have that kind of hang up about things. You know, they just are inclined to, you know, say, let's, let's go and do something good, you know, and, and see, see what happens. And, um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm over, overstating that or over, uh, reading that. I'm not sure, but, um, but yeah, my, so, you know, I'm, I kind of want to say, yeah, we need to, we need to make sure we're not, you know, kind of falling into the materialism that 
um, our generation and the generation before was reacting against, but uh, we need to figure out ways to have big aspirations um, that that are still healthy and and are separate from that, you know. So right. And that our job is to support mm-hmm. those aspirations. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, we're kind of in that weird interim. Oh, what yeah. year were you born? Eighty-one. Eighty-one. Okay, I was eighty. So yeah, we're in that interim where it's not not quite millennial, not quite yeah. Generation X either. Right. And so it's 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 interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And. And so I'm kind of torn, like, where, where do I belong? And not that you have to belong anywhere, right. but still, I do feel like there's a sense of duty that I, you know, I see all these people who are coming up with, you know, they, they were raised in a way that I can't relate to. They're mm. going to, I mean, they were five years old and they've already figured out how to, you know, mm. run computers and stuff. And mm-hmm. I didn't even have access to right. a home computer until I was a senior in high school. So right. they, they are going to have a skill set that I'm never going to have mm-hmm. <laughs> and I need to acknowledge that and mm-hmm. support that and support ideas that are going to be coming from this group of people that I'm not necessarily going to understand <laughs> or even being able to help in any real practical ways. But yeah. how do I keep, how do I, um, you know, how do I make these things happen even if I don't understand them or, I'm right. not, yeah. or if I'm not going to be a, integral part of that because that's where it's hard for me is because I want to be an integral part Mm -hmm. of something and and so I'm having to balance this how do I support the people who are doing the big things while also keeping the big conversation going yeah and um and like you said that's where music and art Mm -hmm. definitely comes in but then music and art also begs that you know, people are like, how, how dare you have the audacity to pursue, right. you know, right. <laughs> to pursue art. That's right. just, that's, you just don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I do think that there, you have to have the people kind of like John the Baptist preparing the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess that's kind of how I yeah. see it is. Okay, let's, let's do this. <laughs> Cause you think about me or any, any generation really, who's the, the music that they're most relating to is not the music coming from the people their own age. It's the people yeah. about 10 years older, you know, 10, 15 years older. And that are kind of saying, Hey, mm-hmm. here's, here's what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's what you're going to become and mm-hmm. get ready. So yeah, that was a very roundabout way and big tangent. So. No, that, well, <laughs> I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. And I think, um, it's, you know, what, what would be awesome is to see, uh, you know, a lot of the idealism uh, that I, I mean, to me, what, what looks like idealism of the, like the sixties, um, mm-hmm. combined with the kind of, um, what, uh, what's the, what would you call like, you know, the, the, the greatest generation, right. They, they, you know, like <laughs> they went out and, and, um, of the of the thirties and forties or whatever they they built all this mm-hmm. stuff you know they built the yeah um these things that in in a lot of ways are unsurpassed um and you know so they had something and then um i think the uh the sixties uh, had um something that was also very important you know i think all of these have have um you know ha- are addressing uh, a 
a felt need in their in their world, and you know we need that, um, and we we need kind of both sides of that, um, and maybe for a while we haven't gotten you know a, a full blown kind of. Uh, vision of, of what that could be. But I, I absolutely think that art and, um, and music and so forth, uh, especially for kids is huge for that reason. Like it, it just, you know, if, if we don't have, if the next generation is not imaginative and creative and, and all those kinds of things, um, uh, I think then we're then we're going to be in trouble. Like that's just <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's that's absolutely what we what we need. And unfortunately, I think in a lot of ways we're still uh, some some ways our school systems are still preparing kids for factory work, which doesn't exist mm-hmm. anymore. And um, and our uh, you know our higher education is in some ways still preparing people for. Um, uh, certain kinds of professional jobs, which are not going mm-hmm. to exist anymore. And, and, and really the thing that we need the most of is, is creativity and ingenuity and the willingness to say, let's try something and see what happens, you know? And, right. um, and I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful that that's what, uh, it is, you know, coming out of this, you know, I just kind of a generational thing. I noticed the other day, I don't, I, I periodically pop in and kind of listen to uh, top 40 radio. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, which, but only periodically. So I, I usually miss a bunch of stuff, but I was, I was listening and, uh, let's see, there's, uh, the two songs that I kept hearing repeated over and over, um, were about, uh, somebody being at a bar and, um, and saying, you know what, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm done with this. I'm going to go home to my, um, uh, long-term relationship because that's much more satisfying. And, and I thought, uh, uh, you know, the, on the surface, these are songs about bars and drinking and, you know, like, um, and I'm so used to, you know, having, heard so many songs that were essentially about this kind of lifestyle of, you know, being out mm-hmm. and, and, um, with, you know, with, yeah, yeah, right. And all that, <laughs> all that that entails. And it seems like, um, now we're seeing, uh, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a shift to be like, ah, uh, yeah, we're going to sing club songs and songs about, you know, being out and, and drinking and dancing. But, um, they're really about like how we want to go home to a, a stable long-term relationship because we're actually well-adjusted people like that. That's, right. <laughs> that's seen the upshot of that. And so I, you know, I identified that, you know, rightly or wrongly as this kind of generational thing, you know, where, um, you know, maybe, maybe, um, uh, millennials are much more into, um, the you know that sort of kind of healthy relationship uh, variety mm-hmm. of things you know so I don't know there's there's a lot that's happening there and I certainly don't um, understand it all but I just think that's that's funny so um, did you have any other uh, like items of of uh, 
huge scares or <laughs> items up for bid. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had one more. Mm-hmm. It was uh, under ethical. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, is um, so you said something about when this is way back. Yeah. You were talking about how um, the like the types of cellular damage and mm-hmm. and. Um, man, my brain's gone and, and fixing all the cellular damage. Right. And uh, you said that was consistent with, with medicine with, mm-hmm. you know, that's how, that's how it works. Yeah. Well, is it necessarily consistent with modern medicine if the intention is not to prolong the inevitable, but is to make you live forever? Is, does the intention change the mm-hmm. ethics? Does it, does it change anything? Do you think? Um, you know, I'm not, um, I don't see the, uh, ultimate issue there that, uh, that a lot of people would see. And, um, but I would say for, um, for what we're talking about, um, it, it doesn't, there, there is no, um, like I said, there's no, there's not going to be a pill that you take and then you live forever. Right. There's, right. there's, well, only, there could be. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying never or whatever, but, right. but, um, but what's being worked on now, the kinds of things that we have, you know, like have, um, you know, under consideration, what we're talking about is that, that you would do something that would, um, make you, you know, make you better for, you know, maybe five years. Right. And then, and mm-hmm. then you come back and you, um, you do it again and, you know, and maybe it's, um, you know, and, and you keep doing it and it's not, um, it's not like, it's not like, Oh, if if you stop doing it, then all of a sudden, uh, you shrivel up and die either. Right. right? (laughs) It's, it's not something like that. It's, you know, we're not talking about some kind of like shallow or superficial sort of, um, you know, D eight, you know, whatever, uh, like aging, um, antidote. Um, we're talking about something that's just, you know, making you healthier in every respect just Mm -hmm. by, you know, um, and, uh, so, so yeah, there, there's not, um, there's not a, a difference, uh, I would say between, you know, doing this for rejuvenation or, or whatever, term we use repair, um, and, um, and doing it, you know, to quote unquote live forever. Um, because it, you're, you know, you're, you're still only taking it like, you know, five years at a time or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's, there's not a, um, there's not a categorical different thing that we're, that we're doing now. I, I don't know. Are, are you kind of, um, getting at uh, as well, like, um, questions of, of, uh, our motivations or something like that, or. Yes. Both, both motivations and, um, like I mentioned, I think in the first, first podcast, the Mm -hmm. kind of the Elysium conundrum where who, who can afford it? Who is it going to be? Who are, who are you going to, is there going to be a motivation to make certain people, yeah. Be healthier than other people. Yeah. How, how does this, how does this work? Yeah. So, 
that, you know, I think that's one of the big things that I hear a lot from people is that, well, of course, this will only be for the rich, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that. And, um, you know, uh, and I've heard that even uh, just in, even in like, um, ar- you know, articles and, in, in, you know, publications, they're like, they're, they're saying what people don't understand is that, you know, this will just be for the rich or like, it's a, like, this is a given, um, fact, you know, and, and right. it's, it's absolutely not a given fact. And, um, and part of that is, you know, we, in, in this country, we do kind of subsidize medicine by, um, mm-hmm. by providing, um, uh, patents, uh, medical, normal medical patents apply for like 20 years. Um, and during that time, what we typically see is that, uh, you know, prices are, are high, um, Mm -hmm. so that the companies can recoup their costs. And then, uh, after the patent expires, then, you know, you get a whole bunch of generic, um, producers coming in and the prices drop a lot, right? Um, so that would be a typical, uh, you know, process for, for a new medical, uh, uh, you know, product or advancement or whatever is, is you might see that if, you know, if it has patent protection that they are able to kind of, um, keep a pretty high price on it for, for about 20 years. And then you would see uh, a drop in prices and, um, that's even assuming that nothing has come along in the meantime to, uh, mm-hmm. even upset the first one. So, so to me, it looks like, um, at most you would expect, um, that maybe for 20 years, uh, you know, rich people have, have a significant advantage here. Um, but then after 20 years, you know, um, then we're back to all being on the same playing field, right? If, if so you just have to hang on for 20 years. Right, and, you know, right, yeah. to when you can afford it, right? Um, so that would be, like, that, I would assume, is just, like, the you know, if, if nobody else was, was do, changing anything about the way this stuff would work, that would be what we would see happen. Um, but the other, the other kind of aspects of, of things are is that... Um, a lot of the work that's being done is is being done um, in a way that would ensure that it's um, accessible to all, and um, so you know, and I and uh, you know, this is this is something that they say, and this is something that they you know put out there. Uh, Aubrey de Grey's uh, organization is set up this way um, to try to maximize that, and they talk about that um, uh, as well. Uh, because they think that what they're doing is important, that it actually um, is not just a vanity thing, but is important mm-hmm. uh, as a moral thing to improve um, the quality of life for the majority of the of the human race. So um, that's you know, so the, that's an additional factor, which is that a lot of people want to see this become uh, widespread, not just um, you know the province of the rich or whatever. And, um, and, uh, third, there's a, there's an economic, uh, motivation, which kind of referenced earlier, um, which is, you know, rich people can't be rich unless they are able to, um, you know, essentially have run companies or have, you know, have people, 
uh, working to maintain the society that they're in. And, mm-hmm. um, and we are, we're already uh, facing a, a, a shortage in a lot of ways of um, healthy and able people who are able to, to kind of keep things, things running. So um, the, the most selfish kind of uh, people in this scenario uh, still seem to have a, a reason for um, wanting to get this kind of thing out to more people, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there are some, some uh, big uh, kind of forces at work which keep this from being something that's, you know, where we end up with thousand-year-old uh, billion, billionaires and then, you know, people who are living like two years and then dying, you know, like I, I, we see a lot of scenarios like that, um, in movies like Elysium. And then the, uh, someone was reminding me of the Justin Timberlake movie the other day. Um, uh, do you, I didn't see that. you didn't see that? Um, no. Oh man, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look it up. Um, let me see. It's, like it's something like just in time or something like, uh, uh, let me see in time. Okay. Um, in time. and yeah. And the, the premise of that is that there are, everybody has, um, a clock on their wrist that counts down the hours they have left. And, okay. um, they are all granted a certain number of hours, you know, when they, when they start, um, their life. And then, then, you know, when they, uh, go out and work for the day, they get a new number of hours at the end of the day, you know, like it's, they're paid in hours of life rather than, okay. and so then when they go to buy a cup of coffee, it takes a few hours off their life. <laughs> and, uh, so, the, and the really rich people have millions of years and they're really, you know, and, and everybody else is like living day to day with just enough hours to get them <laughs> through to their paycheck, you know, like, um, and, um, you know, of course that's absurd as a, you know, as a scenario, but, but I, yeah, we, it's a social commentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the thing about social commentaries is they're commenting on society as it is, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, the fear is not actually that we're going to end up in this situation. The fear is that, or the, the sense is that, oh, to some extent our society already is operating a little bit like this and, right. Um, and what does that mean? You know, and that, um, you know, so, so, you know, bigger picture, I'm going to come back to my transhumanist, uh, mantra or, or whatever, uh, which is that, um, which I think should also be, you know, thought of as a Christian mantra. Um, if, if it happens that we find ourselves living in a world where things are, um, drastically, unfair and people are being uh, mistreated and oppressed um, and you know then um, what can we do about that you know um, let's let's do something to change that and um, so if we if it starts to look like oh well we got these uh, great um, life extension technologies that basically cure cancer and heart disease and dementia and make all of our elderly relatives' lives much better. And um, but somebody uh, passed a law or made it the case that only um, 
only you know twenty people in the world can can have this ever, then you know then let's let's do something to change that right <laughs> let's right. not let's not just let's not shoot down the the technology because to, to keep anybody from being able to get it you know like if if we mm-hmm. can't have it then nobody can let's actually just figure out whatever we need to do to make sure that that everybody gets it and so you know i don't know i think uh, of course i i tend to think our society is um bends that way anyway like we're mm-hmm. we we don't want to see uh all the poor people die and all the rich people, you know, live for a million years. Like we, we actually, we actually do want, um, a pretty good society. We're just sometimes confused about how to get there, you know? Right. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but, um, that, that's, so how to that, get there. yeah. How to get there. How to get there. Yeah. That's, that's the question. Um, yeah, because it's, it's hard because especially with all the, I was just, when you're thinking about that, that's mm-hmm. why I took a pause because I was mm-hmm. thinking, I was uh, cringing actually at my thought of like the presidential debates and mm. all that stuff. <laughs> and that's just kind of the whole, how do you get there? And, right. Um, because that's basically what that's about. And, and it seems like, oh, nobody's on the same page and people are being ugly. And it's yeah. just, you see this, is this, this is the face. This is who is representing us right now, or right. at least our country, you know, and it's just, it's yeah. just not like, I, I don't, I mean, not that I, I don't want to get political and I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody's terrible or anything, but it's, it is hard to just yeah step back and, and have hope yeah. for the future sometimes. So, but at the same time, you know, I'm not knocking politicians either. Well, um, so I'm going to, you know, keep my, my ax to grind here is, is to, is to say that, like, I think this goes back to, um, you know, it's hard to have hope looking at that, but that's a, that's a representation of not having hope, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's where, uh, you know, we we end up in this incredibly polarized place, um, Mm -hmm. because nobody is, is envisioning, something uh better you know and so when when you can't envision something better uh, you know again all you have to do is to fight with the person next to you for what they've got right you, you know? have to tear down right yeah the only way you can build you have to tear down where they are so you can build on their yeah. face and yeah. that's all that's your only option yeah and yeah. that's that's um i think that unfortunately um we've misidentified uh you know the the real like when we talk about well let's build something better let's do something better um a lot of times all people hear are those old stories of when we were just tearing down somebody else you know Mm -hmm. and because and (laughs) because we can't actually conceive of you know of really building something better um we can just conceive of it in terms of like taking it away from (laughs) From some, right. somebody in a different way, and right, and uh, and I mean, you said oh, nobody's nobody's thinking of new things. Well, of course, I mean, I know you don't really yeah, believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. that to, everybody's believing these things, but who's the people who have the power are not supporting these ideas? And mm-hmm. that you know that is where there is a 
who are the loudest voices, who yeah. has the power, and those people, how do you, how do you um, create a louder voice for imagination? Yeah. I know it sounds very idealistic, but <laughs> it's rooted in yeah. reality, totally. So, I, I'm, I'm, that's one mm-hmm. of my struggles is how to create a louder voice for supporting these things without coming across as just as belligerent as yeah. <laughs> the others and how to advocate for change without totally rocking the boat and tipping everything over. Right. And how, you know, how does, how does this happen? Because how do you, I know for me personally, I hate playing the games. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to play the game. I'm not going to play the mudslinging and all that stuff. Right. I'm going to, you know, if I have a good idea, I'm going to say, okay, here's the idea. Right. Who's in. If you like it, support it, do something, talk about it. You know, yeah. let's, let's get it out there. But that's not how the world works apparently. And right. I, you know, and then of course that's like, well, that's just the way things work. And that's what right. we're talking about right. the generation before, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where it's like, okay, do you just accept that this is how it works? Right. So you play the game, you play along and try to make it work. Or do you say, no, I'm making my own rules. So this is a whole other, yeah. you know, now we're talking about political strategy and stuff, but, but it's all, it all plays yeah. in, I guess. It, so. it does. And I, I think, um, you know, what I'm increasingly aware of in, in my life is like that, the lure of thinking, oh, I need to be in competition with someone or I need mm-hmm. to be tearing someone down. It's so strong because we're so, like, it's so easy to get caught up in the fear of this. Like, oh, this person's going to take something away from me or this, mm-hmm. you know, and as soon as we move into the, the mode of, of fear, then we, you know, then immediately move into the mode of, of competition and, and just trying to tear somebody else down. And um, I think that's actively destructive to creativity and to our ability to actually um to actually improve whatever we're we're talking about and so it's it's so frou-frou uh, but but to to be like yeah you know we need to be creative that means we need to um stop being caught up in our fear response to whatever other people are doing or you know whatever else is going on in the world and we need to start being more playful and and really thinking about the world and life and all this in terms of you know how can we be more playful (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um and that's you know i i i say sometimes you know transhumanism and christianity are both incredibly naive and, mm-hmm. I, and uh, you know, what I mean by that is not that they're wrong or that they have an unrealistic view of life, but it's the opposite of the cynical view of life, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, uh, we believe that life tri- triumphs over death. And that's, uh, that's a, you know, because of love. And, that, like, that's a ridiculous thing to believe on the face of it. But, um, but that's, you know, that's... I, but I think it's true, and it's um, right. And it's absolutely essential that we have some of that naivety, um, in in order to actually go out and do the the hard work that 
that has you know that the, that makes the world actually work you know the, the real gritty way that the world works that you know is not that kind of fear and competition it's that somebody does something new and that that actually has a positive effect um anyway sorry i got back on my uh got back on my soapbox again <laughs> no that's okay that's, that's okay <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. yes, I grew up in a very, um, I was taught that competitive competition is healthy. It's what makes the world yeah. go around. It's what it drives progress. So I grew up fairly competitive yeah. by nature and not even realizing it. And to the point where one, just a couple years ago, I, I realized this is something about myself that was not healthy mm -hmm. and was not producing, wasn't creative. It yeah. was it sucked everything away and I never realized it, but I was, I was playing, um, Settlers of Catan. Are you familiar mm -hmm, yeah. with that game? Okay. So I was playing Catan with my brother and he, he just stopped playing the game halfway through, which you don't do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what? And he's like, Amy, the light just went out of your eyes. <laughs> like, uh -huh. and I was like, he's like, I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> And it was just so funny because at the time I was like, what, what is he talking about? And yeah. so I brought it up to somebody else and they're like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, he's right. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a monster. You know? <laughs> so but I've been trying to be aware of that, yeah. just, just how intrinsic that, you know, I'm going to win. And it's, of course, I'm, it's not about winning, you know, I'm just having, yeah. having fun, of course, but still it, how it just touches on everything and do mm -hmm. to the point where, yeah, the light, the light is gone out of my eyes. The point is gone and it's just about winning at that point. And, yeah. um, so yeah, how to, how to bring the light back. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, playfulness, becoming yeah. like little children, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's exactly it. And, mm -hmm. um, I'm 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 able to do that. That I'm surrounded by little children, yeah. so I <laughs> so I am yeah. able to to um, glean from their wisdom and yeah. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I I totally agree. That's that's awesome, um, man. Yeah, it's uh, I, I I do love that. Like I, you know, Jesus says, yeah, you must become like like little children, and the the longer. Uh, I go on the more true I think that is and mm -hmm. it seems it seems you know obviously seems backwards in every way but it's <laughs> but it's right you know when and when we play like um you know the difference between a lot of the things that kids play and uh you know a lot of the things that adults play is with adults there's there's um you know yeah there's like winners and losers um mm -hmm. But a lot of the play that kids engage in is just like there's no real end to it. It's just you know they right. It's open ended. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And they just keep doing it, and there's no there's no winner, you know. But people are playing different roles and and you know creating different things. And um, right. And uh, so yeah, I don't know. I think there's something uh, something really significant about that. And um, uh, there's a book I've been meaning to. Um, really explore a lot more called, uh, uh, I think finite games and infinite games. Oh, interesting. And it's basically saying, 
uh, finite games you play to uh, to win, and infinite games you play to keep playing. And um, so that's that's the kind of thing you know. It's like a lot of the the games that kids come up with are are infinite games, and right. Um, and I think the suggestion is at the largest scale, life is an infinite game. Like the it's you know mm-hmm. it's like how do we keep playing? How do we keep making this this bigger and better and and more exciting and um and keep moving because that's that's what it's about. You know that's that's where the excitement comes from. That's where the thrill comes from. That's why it's worth being in. You know nobody's nobody wins. Uh, at the end of the earth or whatever, <laughs> the, right? You know, um, it's not you know uh, whose nuclear response capabilities were the best. Um, it's it's yeah. Can we keep playing? Can we keep um, growing this and exper- experimenting with this and exploring? So anyway, right. I'm imagining the superlatives at uh, the Judgment Day. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm just like them, and um, I'm imagining the scene at the end of yeah. Star Wars. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're all up there, I, and that's the thing. Like with Star Wars, the first Star Wars, it's you know, it's just fantastic, and then mm-hmm. that's how it ends: is they get medals. Yeah, like, really? Right. <laughs> that that's the culmination of this. Right. experience is I have this shiny thing around my neck. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I know it's more than that. I know it's, but yeah, right. still, right. it's just not very satisfying at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, so, you know, the, the stories that, um, you know, the traditional way to end a story is that, uh, you know, uh, the two people get married or they ride mm-hmm. off into the sunset or something like that. All of which is saying, ah, you know, there's a new life that's that's beginning, mm-hmm. right? Like this isn't just and you 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 know you won your medal, but that actually like a new a whole new thing came out of this, and that's right. where we're going now, you know. Um, right. Well, even the idea of heaven isn't so much, you know. Yeah. Heaven. It's okay. You get you get to live forever now, or what? You yeah. know, whatever the yeah. experience. So you're you're starting something new. Yeah. And it's not a okay. Here's your reward. Congratulations. Shake hands, and then right. poof. You know. Right. <laughs> so. It's, so yeah, that was. It's like uh, so yeah. remind. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, like C.S. Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like you you quoted this to me one time, maybe, uh, but. Um, uh, at the end of the last battle, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, it's uh, what is it? Further up and further so in. Further up and further in. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right. There, so like, yeah, there is no end to it. The you know the the whole right. thing of heaven is that it's the start of something even bigger, basically. Right. That's my favorite book, by yes. the way. The yeah. last battle. Yeah. Um, out of all the Narnia books, probably maybe my favorite book ever. But. Really. But yes, I really, I read it. I have, my copy is annotated heavily. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. I don't generally write in my novels. Yeah. But yeah, The Last Battle is just penciled in all over. So that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, ooh, we should come back and talk about some of these these stories. Um <laughs> So much there. Um, okay, so I, I like that. Let's let's end with that. Further up and, and further in. Um, further up and further in. Yeah, yeah. that's a good that's a good one. Awesome. <laughs> All, All right. right. All right. Talk to you later, Amy. All right. Bye.